Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. Mia, welcome to The Spill, your daily pop culture fix. I'm Chelsea McLaughlin. And I'm Laura Brodnick. And I was reading an article on a little website called mamamia.com.au this morning about an interview that blew my mind. So Adam Driver is currently doing press for his movie Ferrari, where he stars as Enzo Ferrari. Enzo's the coolest name in the world. It really is. Even if you're a Vampire Diaries fan, you already love that name. Oh God, what have (laughs) I done? Opened a can of worms. But what's going viral about this is an interview that he did with a broadcaster called Chris Wallace, and it is just really, really awkward because Chris Wallace asks him a question that he probably shouldn't have asked him. You don't look like the typical movie star. Uh, Has that been a help or a hindrance? uh, Well, I've I've worked uh, consistently, which is nice with people that I've wanted to, uh, always uh, dreamed that I wanted to work with. And I, so in that sense, it hasn't... uh, I look how I look. I can't. I can't change that. So I guess it it, it helped me. It's I guess good. what I'm wondering is, did you ever early in your career think, man, if I look like Robert Redford, it would be easier. If I look like Robert Redford, it would be easier. Because uh, let yeah. me tell you, I've thought that. <laughs> okay, there are two things that you can't see from that audio clip. One is Adam Driver's "you what, mate?" kind of facial expression because yeah. he looks like I cannot believe He's you just asked me that. Obviously, dying inside, but weirdly on his best behavior because he'll storm out of an interview. Totally, he didn't even say a swear word. So I know. Like, kudos, him. kudos. And two is a giant picture of Robert Redford, which flashes up in the background. <laughs> he is held up as this like pinnacle of a good-looking movie star who was famous as much for his looks as for his movies, whereas now that kind of gets skewed a bit. So I don't want to defend the man, but (laughs) I I understand why he picked Robert Redford. He's hot. It's just an incredibly, incredibly line of questioning. And I understand he was trying to go for some kind of like deep, I don't know, was he actually? Maybe he was just being weird. I want to kind of always give him the benefit of the doubt. I won't. That he was trying to have a talk about like these physical expectations in Hollywood and also the idea that a lot of Hollywood leading men have a very similar face shape and features and look a very certain way. And that's been the mould for such a long time to the point that if you put like a lot of like the Matt Damons and the Brad Pitts and stuff together, like their faces could almost merge in a way. They're very similar how they look. Mm -hmm. Whereas Adam Driver has a very distinctive look, but also he's lusted after as like a sex symbol and people are obsessed with him but also I typed in Adam Driver to like do a bit of research today and then one of the first search terms that come up is Adam Driver ugly is Adam Driver ugly and my mum thinks Adam Driver is ugly which is a blog post that went viral not that long ago oh okay I was like people are just writing in that particular statement Oh, yeah. that's horrible. Yeah, and also he says in the interview that he's so aware that people have critiqued his looks for so long and he even references a line in The New Yorker that I hadn't remembered but obviously he's reading all his press and this is burnt into his brain that a reviewer said when you look at Adam Driver you wonder if his agent is booking him for movies or sending him to the racetrack, like basically saying he has a horse face and he's obviously carried that with him for a long time. Oh, my oh, you're, God. You're like, this is going to be a funny interview now. I feel sad. Yeah, my heart just kind of broke a little bit for Adam Driver which is 
like a big ask because I don't like this man because Kylo Ren in Star Wars sucked. So I hold that against him personally. But, oh, that's really horrible. (laughs) It's interesting because on one hand, everyone's like justice for Adam Driver and, like, you wouldn't say that to a woman so you wouldn't say it to a man. And to that I say that obviously you should never tell anyone they're ugly or have that conversation. But at the same time, the standards of what you look like for men in Hollywood have been radically different for women. Like, there's been a lot of time where they're like, oh, they're just a great guy, they're a character actor, or they don't fit the mould, but we'll let them in anyway. But with women, it's like you must look conventionally attractive in the way we deem or you're out. I just think that's a lot to put the history of, you know, physical appearance of Hollywood on Adam Driver, where he's like, I'm just trying to promote my movie Ferrari. Thoughts and prayers, but moving on from Adam Driver, there is another royal scandal on the table today. I feel like there have been 30 royal scandals, but alas. So a new book, which may have accidentally named Two Royal Racists, has made headlines around the world. But today we're going to discuss who is really to blame for this royal translation scandal. We've got all of the thoughts, all of the receipts. So here it is, the entertainment news story we need to talk about today. So a very highly anticipated, I mean, not by you, but by everyone else, Royal Tell All (laughs) came out at the end of November and it's called Endgame, not to be confused with the pinnacle (laughs) of the cinematic Marvel Universe, which is also called Endgame. We're in the Endgame now. This particular book was called Endgame, Inside the Royal Family and the Monarchy's Fight for Survival, which was written by Omid Scobie, who, if you're tracing royal news, has been a name that's been around for a long time. He had previously written a book that was more centred on Meghan and Harry and they're like removing themselves from the royal family called Fighting Freedom. So when the book came out, obviously, people quickly started scanning it. All the press releases came out. A few journalists got pre-copies to write their reviews before the release. And everyone was really centered on the fact that in the book, Omid Scobie writes about something that first came to light in that big Oprah Winfrey interview that the couple did. It's the first time they'd really spoken since leaving the royal since family. Since they were silent. Or were you silent? Exactly. Well, how many times have you watched this interview? <laughs> like burned into your brain. Mm-hmm. And in the interview, Meghan Markle, she was talking about unconscious bias and like racial prejudice within the royal family. And she talks about hearing that there was a conversation between senior members of the royal family because at the time she was pregnant with Archie, their first son, and they were questioning how dark his skin would be. And Oprah's jaw just like hits the floor. She so cannot believe this has happened. What? Who is having that conversation? And then she presses Megan for the name. Megan won't reveal it because she said, I think that would be very damaging for them. Mm-hmm. Later on, Harry comes and joins them in the interview and she asks him and he said, I'm never going to say that. But, you know, it was really difficult. So all that came out. And then in the book, there's a big chapter around that and like how the interviews came out. And Omid says that the reason he knows about it is that Meghan Markle and Prince Charles were exchanging letters about it back and forth. And... <laughs> It's kind of interesting how he says it because he obviously has so many sources within the royal family and the people who work there and, and like, you know, people who are adjacent to them. And he's like, people who happen to view the letters, only happen <laughs> to view the letters, but they have a sealed envelope that you ripped open. Oh, I would love to happen to read the letters. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to say that letter came across my desk. I would also happen to read it as well. Hell yes. And so apparently in the letters, it was named the two senior royals who had had that discussion about his skin. And this is where some people have got the wrong end of the stick because some people are like, oh no, he's refusing to name them. He won't do it. He's being moral. And he's like, in the book, he's very clear that he's not being moral because he says, UK law prevents me from telling you these names, but I do know them. 
I wonder if he couldn't name them because it was just defamation broadly or if there's like a specific royal sort of protocol and laws around them. Mm. Because if there's a letter, defamation wouldn't stand guessing with this that because he doesn't have the physical letters and he can't print them and verify them that him saying someone told me could be defamation yeah that's hearsay and obviously the royal family extremely litigious so you'd have to be even more careful Mm -hmm. in this case with the book so the book comes out and everyone's like oh who are the names like that and then (laughs) (laughs) just like that just like that (laughs) and then the book is distributed in holland and it's all sitting up on the bookshelves and a few people walk in they're like what's this endgame this is not an avengers book it's about the royals i'll read it anyway (laughs) and then as they're flicking through they see that in the translation two royal family members have been clearly named as the people who questioned Archie's skin. This is not a bombshell to anyone. This has been out for ages. But it was Kate Middleton, or Princess Catherine, as she prefers to be known, and Prince Charles, who was writing the letters back and forth, which is also weird, who apparently said it. And then that news goes everywhere. And the books are quickly ripped off the shelves in every bookshop. I'm assuming the royal family had people like chasing people down the street, knocking on their door and be like, They got on the Eurorail from London through to Amsterdam, like, (laughs) Burn it down. Get the books back. But it was too late. The news was out there. And then all these other outlets are having this big moral quandary. Like, do we say the name because they say it's been printed in error? It hasn't been released in UK. Do we say it or not? Enter Piers Morgan on his TV show. And again, this has also been misreported. I think people think that he was like, I'm going to tell you who said the racial things. But he's very on the side of the royal family. Mm. As we know, him and Meghan Markle were friendly. And then she didn't want to be his friend and he just blew up and now has like a five-year-plus crusade against her. Exactly, who has built so much of his career off slamming her and saying awful things about her and being very, like, intense on his, like, love of the royal family. Mm. His justification was if someone in another country can walk into a bookshop and get this information and they all know that the people of the UK who fund the royal family should also have this information. So I'm going to tell you it was Kate and Charles. Yeah, and I don't want to defend him either, but I tend to agree with that fact. It is really interesting that the information was out there and if anyone with an internet connection could Google it and find it out via the Dutch book, it's really interesting that the media's initial response was like, oh, should we, I guess, protect these people? I don't know. I come to this with a negative view naturally because I just find the royals just horrible, generally. I mean, not to mince words. I just find them really annoying. (laughs) So it annoys me that everyone was immediately like, oh, maybe we shouldn't name them because the information's out there. Just name them. They don't need protection. And also we and other outlets also weren't saying it's them. We're just saying a book has been misprinted and these are the names. It's been alleged that their books have been misprinted. What we do know is a physical book did have their names in it. That's just fact. That's a fact. That's a fact. But after the break, this story gets even messier, if you can believe, because now the Dutch translators have entered the chat and they're not happy. Okay, so Laura, as you've just laid out, this has gotten really messy. I mean, it was messy to begin with, but it's just really spiralled over the last day or two. The most recent news that I have seen came from the Times UK, which is the most prestigious newspaper in the UK. It's kind of like their big broadsheet. And they had a report that the author, Omid Scobie, had sent his book to the Dutch publisher, a final version weeks before it was published, which did not name the royals, which kind of backs up his defense. It was like, it was not in my transcript. However, his talent agency, according to the Times, had earlier sent a draft version to the Dutch publisher. This is getting very in the weeds, which did contain the names. So somewhere 
Along the way, the talent agency, the British publisher, has sent it to the Dutch publisher, which did have the names, and they've translated that, allegedly. (laughs) I don't want to get sued either. (laughs) According to the Times. So the Dutch publishers are not happy about how this is all played out. I think there's also going to be like an official investigation, according to The Guardian. So this is really, really messy. Everyone is throwing mud at each other. I kind of love it. Yeah, it has gotten quite scandalous. It's so against what Obed and his publisher said when the news first broke that the names were in there because both of them went on the record and Omid said, I never put those names in any version of my manuscript. I have never written them anywhere in this book, any earlier drafts, any correspondence I've said. So any names that have been put in there have been added by the Dutch transcribers or added somewhere along the way of someone who had access to the manuscript. But he's always said, I've never written them down, so how could you have them? And then after all that came out, one of the translators, Saskia Peters, who worked on the translating it into the Dutch version, gave an interview to the Daily Mail Online and said that the manuscript that she received 100% included the royal names, Kate and Charles, in black and white on the page. And she said, I did not add them in. I would never do that. As a translator, I completely work with what's in front of me. Another translator who worked on the book with her, because obviously there's a few different people who work on something like this, have both come on the record and say, we've been doing this for decades. This is our livelihood. Unless someone's paid them a huge sum of money to slip it in there, why would the translators risk their entire futures and careers and their jobs, something they've been doing for decades and there's never been anything like this that's happened to them? Why would they risk that to slip two royal names in that they made up? Yeah, it's getting very conspiratorial, Mm. is it not? The way I'm envisioning it is someone is like breaking into a publisher late at night. They've got like a hood over their thing and they're adding in these names to just create mess and get it out there. But it's not going to be like that. It would have been just an admin error, which is really kind of boring when yeah, you think about it. Yeah, but even for an admin error, Chelsea, that means someone, and I guess in this case Omid, had to put it down in black yeah. and white on paper at some stage of the game. Out of everyone, they don't get added in as an admin error. So that goes against his initial statement that he never oh, wrote yes. them down. So he's obviously, I'm going so intense about this, someone <laughs> solved this crime. And they're like, okay, we can't do this in the UK. Allegedly, guys, don't sue me. I don't know what happened. I'm just saying, like, we can't do this in the UK, but we'll send it off for the Dutch version and get it put on the shelves. And I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, why would you do that? I'm sure the translators wouldn't do that because unless someone's paid them, they've got nothing to gain. Who has something to gain? Again, allegedly, I'm going to get sued. (laughs) Allegedly, who has something to gain is the publisher of this book because obviously there was already a lot of fanfare around it. But what has pushed it into massive mainstream news was these two names and this book on the day this came out. That is a level of publicity that you cannot buy through interviews and, you know, ad placement. It's something that can only happen with a perfectly curated media storm. And that's what happened because of the Dutch version. Mm, That's so true. And what sort of plays into that as well is that this so easily falls into the overall royal narrative that we've come to know over the last two plus years, which is like William and Kay and sort of the firm and the institution versus Harry and Meghan. Yes. It's just reignited or the feud never really went away. It's really fallen into that just like salacious feud. Everyone's fighting narrative. At the end of the day, there is so much interesting stuff in here. There's so many behind-the-scenes bits of information in here, but none of that is getting talked about because all people are centering on is this printing scandal and who is to blame. Even maybe more sinister than that is that all of this discussion about the fight and the continuation of this feud and even just, like, the term royal racists really plays into, like, 
it's scapegoating various people, no matter what side you're on. Either Megan is the villain or Kate and Charles are the villain. Yeah. And that's a really salacious and interesting story and people are going to click on that and here we are talking about it. But then it takes away the focus from broader conversations about this institution and the environment in which conversations that allegedly did happen, these kinds of discussions about skin colour, an environment that fosters those conversations from even being a thing in the first place. And so I think we're focusing on the people because that's interesting and dramatic, Mm. when again, we should be focusing on the royal sort of institution, the firm, capital F. I would almost recommend reading Endgame because there's a lot of stuff in there about the racial prejudice around Meghan and the royal family that, again, is not making headlines. But I think that's the kind of important thing to remember is that, as you're saying, people have got very caught up in the scandal. But the conversation that led to the scandal and, like, the bigger thing of the institution is still there. And that's what they want us to forget, Chelsea. Thank you so much for listening to The Spill today. This episode of The Spill was produced by Taylor Strano with audio production by Scott Stronach. We'll see you on mamamia.com.au and on The Spill Instagram. See ya. Bye.